Welcome to Fact or Fiction. It's my podcast about historical crime. I'm your host, Laura, and I'm here today with my son, Andrew. Hello. To discuss another crazy and mostly true tale from the past. And this time, it's the Trunk Mystery of 1885. That, what, what? Yeah, okay, just wait, just wait, just wait. Like, what do you mean by trunk? Do we mean... Do you mean the, uh, like, car trunk? Do you mean, like, elephant trunk? Do you mean, like, the one word for, like, chests and treasure chests and stuff? Well, yeah, treasure chests. So think of a treasure chest. Not a tree trunk, not an elephant trunk, not a car trunk. Okay, so the murderer is a pirate. (laughs) Okay, so, now wait, let me get back to this whole fact or fiction thing. So, now I say that the story is mostly true because I've added one little fictional detail. And I'm betting... That no one will guess what it is because it's more difficult than you think to distinguish between fact or fiction. So, ready to play? Maybe. <laughs> okay. Intro music. All right. So, Andrew, <laughs> I said earlier that today's story is the trunk mystery of 1885. Yeah. So, we're going to travel back to April of 1885 in oh. St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. I say Missouri. I'm going to kill you for saying that. I man. know. It's, I was taught. It hurts me. I was taught that. It was I know. And I'm older. You raised me. How, I know. How did I get it different? How I did know. I get it right? It's, well, there's a whole big story about that. Nah, I could, I'm right. You're wrong. Whatever. Objectively. Okay. So this spring in St. Louis. So just step, stop at St. Louis, right? Okay. So this, sure. this spring was warmer than usual. And the unseasonable heat um, probably intensified... <laughs> The smell that alerted the town to an infamous crime. Oh, man. I know. Someone let all the stink bugs out. (laughs) Well, just hold on to that thought. Um, So this is a quote from the Globe Democrat. It says, A horrible stench so sickening that the borders of the Southern Hotel were almost driven from the house. It brought to light yesterday a crime as mysterious as it was fiendish. That's a quote. They actually described it as fiendish. They did. Oh, man. They did. Okay. So, so the source of the smell emanated from a large zinc trunk, like a pirate trunk, which we established, um, that was inside room 144 of the hotel. So, they contacted... They couldn't get it open. So, they contacted a luggage a luggage salesman from a nearby store um, to help them open the trunk. Open. It's a chest. Well, it was locked. Oh, that's right. You got to get the key. You got to get the key. Okay. So this guy recognized the straps and the rope fastenings as items that he had sold recently to Walter Lennox Maxwell. Oh, Walter Mm. Lennox Maxwell. He invented Linux, as we all know. Okay. So just FYI for everybody, um, Andrew is kind of into computer stuff. So that's the Linux reference. Okay. Everyone, no, not everybody Linux. does, honey. Okay. Not everybody does. Okay. So Maxwell, Walter Lennox Maxwell, had been staying... This is pre-computers. This is 1885. <laughs> yeah. No. No. He'd been staying no. at the Southern Hotel in St. Louis, before, but he'd left a few days before they found the trunk. Right, so right. when he did, he explained to the desk, the desk clerk, that his friend... He had a friend who stayed there with him. The friend's name was Charles Arthur Preller. And he said that um, that Charles Preller was away for a time, but it would be so nice of them to hold his room, room 144, because Preller would be returning to St. Louis soon to gather his things before he joined Maxwell. Suspicious. Right. So, um, so what do you think was inside the trunk? Well, 
I mean, given the tr- trunk murders, I'm going to assume it's a dead body. <laughs> no, they used the trunk to kill somebody. No, 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 no. Oh, no, that no. would be way <laughs> cooler, man. So, okay. Like, he just filled it with, ooh. Okay. He filled treasure, it with sulfur. Treasure chest. No, no, he fills it with sulfur and then wax people with it. Sulfur? Yeah, because the smell. Oh, I get it. The stinky smell. Yeah. That's good. Okay, that's clever. I'm brilliant. See, serial killers should just listen to me. I know. Serial killers, turn off your... Your earbuds now. I'll give you too many good ideas. So um, I'm going to read an account. This is one of the favorite things I found when researching this. So this is written by the actual guy that opened the trunk for the first time. The luggage salesman that came in. okay. I'll listen to this. Right. Okay. So he saw it. And I read a letter. Like, I've got a letter. I'll put it up on the webpage that's actually in his handwriting. So he said, when I started to open the trunk, everybody, police and all, (laughs) ran wildly across to 4th Walnut Street. And they left me alone with Preller. You could hear the people hollering at me not to open the trunk. Well, after standing with the trunk about five to ten minutes, I cut the rope and straps and slowly took a good look at the good man and closed it again after pushing his left leg back about two inches. (laughs) Right? I know. Kind of gross, right? He's not like he's not a policeman. He's not he any kind of first responder. They made him. Close. They made him open it. All right. So yes. Yeah, so inside the trunk was the naked, decomposing corpse of thirty-year-old Charles Arthur Preller, the guy that Maxwell said to hold the room for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So apparently, um, Preller would not be coming back to gather his things. <laughs> not because he was already there. Because he was. He never left. He never. Ooh, spooky. So ooh. there were a few clues in the trunk with Preller. His mustache, this is this is weird stuff. So his mustache had been shaved off, a cross had been carved onto his chest with a scalpel. What? And there was a note that said, So perish all traitors to the great cause. Is okay? this like a clan thing? What is this? Well, I don't know. So um so that's the question. Had Maxwell and Preller been involved in some shady espionage? Hmm, who knew? So, as you can imagine, this was front page news. And the Post-Dispatch was on it. What? <laughs> they sent a young artist. and I love this part of the story, too. They sent a young artist. She was 17, actually. And her name was Martha Hoke. Oh, how nice. Cre- that she was young? That her name was Martha. I don't know. She's just a young artist getting her name out there. Right. Okay. Well, this is really cool. I hope they paid her in something other than exposure, at least. I doubt it, because she was working for her parents, which we all know how that works. Uh, <laughs> How much are you getting paid for this podcast? I mean, you're letting me have some beer. I'm, I am, and you might get if you win, you might get some chocolate. That sounds okay. Okay, all right. So, so anyway, <laughs> so they sent a young artist named Martha Hoke to create the image that would come to define the scene. All right. The scene. Ooh. So, so what she used was a tech, new technique developed by her father, Joseph Hoke, and it was called chalk, chalk plate. And what I did was it quickly created a printable sketch of the murder victim. Oh, nice. So here, this is a picture I'm going to show you. And can you describe can, can you describe the picture for me? <laughs> it's just a chest with two little knees sticking out. Well, but look at, look at, you can see his face if you look closely. Oh, oh, his face was put in uh, perpendicular. Mm-hmm. To the legs. So they... Because he was dead. So they were kind of crammed really, in there. Yeah, it was really crammed in there. So can you imagine a 17-year-old? So this... How they stinky sent her, was She this? has to go watch or... She had to go take a picture or like draw a picture of it. Well, she did a pretty good job, I'll say. Right. 
She did. I think so. I like the I like the the creepy message. Yeah. So read the message for us. So perish all traitors to the great cause. You already read it before, though. I know, but it's but, spooky. So so for all of our listeners out there, so I'm gonna put that on the webpage so you can see how um, how creepy it looks. Right? It's like a totally creepy font. It's just a font. It's just a font. It it's what creepy. it says that's kind of creepy. Right. Okay. But sure. So, okay. So her sketch is amazing. And apparently, this was the first time that the technique that her father had created um, allowed them to print a sketch quickly. And so newspapers around the world were all excited about it. Wow. This is a big development. It kind of was. It was a big technological development. So, so before I continue with my story, I'm going to give you a little background on... The guy in the trunk. Ooh. Charles Arthur Preller and his friend, the guy who left, Linux. Wal- Walter Lennox Maxwell. Lennox man. MD. So Preller was an executive of a London exporting firm. You won't get this joke, I wrote. Like an importer exporter, like Art Vandalay. Do you get that? No, I don't know who Art Vandalay is. Yeah, that's that's a Seinfeld reference you're not going to get. But I maybe don't. some of our listeners will. Hey. I don't get it. Um, no, I've only seen the Soup Nazi episode. Right. Okay. And a few others. Well, you should watch more. It's good. Your your education is incomplete. As a parent, I failed you. You so, have. So because of his job, this Preller guy, um, he traveled the world. People described him as shy and decent and somewhat quiet. So Preller, and my, by the way, for all our listeners out there, those sounds are my dogs running around and um, and tap dancing on the floor. Yep, that's what they do. They're wearing little tails and coats, and they've got the little tap dance shoes. <laughs> sure, they're not entirely wrong. All right, so so because of his job, um, Charles Arthur Preller traveled the world. People described him as shy and decent and somewhat quiet. So Preller and Maxwell met in late January 1885 on a steamer ship bound for Boston, sailing out of Liverpool. So they're from England, right? Um, So Walter Lennox Maxwell, he was 25. He was a charming man, a member of the landed gentry, and a newly graduated doctor. He was heading to Boston to start a medical practice. So the two men struck up a close friendship and spent several weeks together in Boston. So, Andrew. What happened? I know you're my son, but I'm going to emphasize that their friendship could not have been much closer. Oh, God. Yes. No, that's fine. So, well, no. So today we wouldn't think much of it. but this Back was, then, I understand why they would be. It was 1885, like, and it was exactly 10 years before the sensational Oscar Wilde tri- trials. I don't, I don't know nothing about that. Oh, dear. Again, <laughs> your education is lacking. <laughs> Oh, no, I use slightly improper grammar that is completely proper within specific dialects. No, no, that you don't know who Oscar Wilde is. Oh, yeah, no, and that one, I'm, yeah, my education is probably lacking. The, the importance of being earnest? No? Okay. No. All right, listeners. Ring about, the name sounds kind of familiar. Listeners, if you know anything about this. Was he this, an author? He was, yeah, he okay, was a playwright. He was name. amazing. I so talented. Was, they like assumed yeah. for being gay. Well, yeah. So his homosexuality um, led Ridiculous. to a, like a crazy trial. There's some good movies about it too. Um, okay, so back How to sad. back to our, it is really sad is really actually because he was but, yeah. a brilliant guy. So um, Preller had business in Toronto. Preller, that's the the corpse guy. The corpse um, guy. But before he left, he and Maxwell, the doctor. Agreed to meet again in St. Louis after Preller had completed his business, and then the two of them would travel west to New Zealand. 
They're like getting as far away from England as they can. Right? right. Smart. Smart. Right. So on April 3rd of 1883. So remember, they found the trunk. And I think it was April 14th. Oh, shoot. I gotta look at my notes here. Um... Oh, I didn't, uh, yeah, April 14th is when they found the trunk. Okay. So on April 3rd, the two met in St. Louis, and they booked separate rooms, because this is 1885, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but they're staying in the same room, at right? The, at the Southern Hotel, presumably to keep up appearances. But the staff knew. Oh, the staff know, knew. The staff knew they, they spent knew. most of their time in Maxwell's room. So according to witnesses, Maxwell was sociable, the doctor. He was the one of the pair that... Um, he was one of the pairs. They spent a few days together exploring saloons, restaurants, and pool halls of the city. Oh, but pool halls. I like pool halls. I know. Yeah, me too. Um, Max, I'm not very good at playing pool, though, are you? <laughs> My hand-eye coordination is garbage, so no. Uh, not when it comes to video games, That's different. Too. Yeah, okay. Well, and in video games... My hand-eye coordination is still terrible. Mine's terrible in video games, too. Yeah, that's because you don't play them. So this Maxwell, the guy, this gregarious, sociable guy, was also a heavy drinker, and he liked to tell tall tales. So his friend Preller, though, the importer-exporter, was quieter, but he paid the bills. Okay? Oh, no. People noted that Preller was seen carrying $100 bills on more than one occasion. Okay? Which is... Think about it. It's 1885. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So all seemed well for the two until the day after Easter on April 5th. So I guess that's two days. <laughs> April 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Okay. When Prowler apparently went away on business. Suspicious. He left Maxwell to account for his absence. So that was the day. A day or so later, Maxwell also left. And this is when he said that his room could be let, but that Preller wanted his own room maintained since he'd be returning soon. So then let's fast forward to, so they were both gone on April 5th. So then on the 14th, they discovered the body, but some interesting things soon came to light. Right. Okay. So the, apparently the day before he left, April 6th, so I guess Maxwell left on the 7th. So on the 6th, so the last time people saw Preller was the 5th. Right. Then on the 6th, Maxwell asked a druggist, like a pharmacist, how much it would cost a man to get off on murder charges. Not suspicious, right? No, no, that's completely normal. I do that whenever I go to the pharmacy. (laughs) Right. I walk into into CVS and they're like, all right, here's your prescription. And I'm like, so do you guys know how much it would cost for me to get off on murder charges or racketeering or... I mean, it, it changed it up because it's, <laughs> you it, don't want to. You don't want to bore the pharmacist. Exactly. Actually, I don't actually do it, but I might start doing it. That's pretty funny. It would be funny. What would the pharmacist do if he did that? Be confused. I know. Well, apparently this guy was confused, but he yeah, didn't remember it. Fair. So, so what the druggist told him was that St. Louis was a civilized community. So Maxwell bought chloroform I'm sorry, anyway. I'm sorry. Every time you say St. Louis, druggist, like. I, are you like, thinking Breaking Bad? You're like you're no, like picturing no, 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 Walter Wright. No, no. I'm Why? picking like I'm I'm picturing like a a wiz not to be a drug man. I'm still picturing like a wizard, like a arcanist or mechanist or something like you know shoot light except he shoots like heroin at people. Oh my! I don't know, man. <laughs> well, it was it was that, like, 1880s. Twenty, yeah. So it's probably was cocaine. Like, yeah, that's right. They even put that. They put it in everything. everything. They gave it to babies, like which. Seems bad. Why would you give it? To, no, they gave morphine to babies because that Still made them sleep. Bad. 
Yeah, it it that it was bad. Right. Okay, let's get back to our story. Yeah, yeah, the one about the dead dude. Okay. I love so those. so the druggist sorry. The the pharmacist there told him told him St. Louis was a civilized community and so he couldn't just buy it off. But Maxwell, the doctor, bought chloroform anyway. What? And then he showed him a newly purchased six shooter. Okay. So, or maybe there's conflicting reports, or maybe he showed the six shooter to a waiter. Okay, we're, I'm not sure. I've found Why two different. Both? Maybe both. That's right. You found two conflicting news reports. So then after this, yeah, I did. Oh my gosh, these, yeah, so many conflicting news reports. So after he left, he asked the barber. Oh wait, no. After after he left on his next errand, he traveled to a barber, and he shaved off his beard. And then as he left, he asked the barber. If he was still recognizable as the man who'd entered his shop. Okay, so let's recap. So he went to the pharmacist. He just asked everyone, hey, I'm going to murder someone. Can I get some help? Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Absolute brilliant. Right. So a week or so later, on April 14th, Maxwell was gone and Preller's rotting body was discovered in the trunk. So then, of course... The St. Louis police are not dummies, right? They figured out what was happening. They were like, they're on his trail. So it was evident that the note had been written in Maxwell's handwriting. And they suspected it was meant as a red herring to imply that the murder had been a matter of international intrigue. So, yeah. So Maxwell hadn't covered his tracks very well. Remember he told people they were going to New Zealand? Yeah. Right. So is he still going to New... Right. What a moron. So they soon traced his travels from Union Station in St. Louis to San Francisco under the name, this is a new name, H.M. Brooks. Okay? Okay. They notified the police in San Francisco who soon found a man matching Maxwell's description staying at the Palace Hotel, which was according, yeah, accordingly it's a fancy, fancy hotel. Um, Under the name of, this is his name, T.C. Dajois of Paris. T.C. Dajois. That's not a... That's not a real name. Uh, well, T.C. Dajois spoke with a strong French accent. Oh, he was literally crying. Oh. So, but apparently he had left the Palace Hotel, leaving behind a letter written in a crackable code that indicated that he, Dajois, was a spy. What? And that his friendship with Preller had been part of some sort of espionage. So is it true? Was he a spy? I don't know. He's not a very good one. Well, I'm going to tell you a couple interesting things about D.C. Dajois. So when police began investigating him, a man from Chicago who had traveled with Dajois on the train to San Francisco spoke fluent French himself. And so he was excited to meet another traveler who was French. (laughs) So he tried to talk to him. And um, the guy who's just like, oh, wee wee baguette. You <laughs> exactly. You may or may not be surprised to learn that Dajois did not understand a word that the man said. <laughs> but but the guy, like you said, wee wee baguette. Um, he didn't explain. He just kept on communicating in his accent. So he's like, you know, I don't. I, I, do you, oh yeah, I get it. Oh wee 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 wee. Oh god, I can't do it anymore. I can't either. Insulting French accent. I'm sorry, French people. I'm, I I'm, failed you. I know. I'm, well, I can't do any accents. Maybe southern. I can do a no, southern please accent. Please stop. It hurts. So now you may be asking no, yourself. No, you're going to stop. Oh <laughs> okay. god, my brain. All right. So, so I'm just going to point out. What do you think? Do you think Dajois was actually Maxwell? No, they're clearly different people. 
Right. There are two different people involved in the story that I'm telling you. Well, there are three, actually, because there's Preller, R.A.P., and uh, Wait, wait. Maxwell's not the same as... They're not the same person. Well, are they? I'm asking you. I'm assuming they are. Yes. Well, yes and no, though. There's more to it. Okay. What? So... Did he knock off some Dejois guy, too? Just wait. Oh, my God. Maxwell and Dejois are aliases used by a 25-year-old man from Hyde Park, England, and his name was actually Hugh Motram Brooks. H.M. Brooks. H.M. Brooks. You were paying attention. Of course. No, I'm sitting here like... You were paying... Well, that's what he put. Not on the Palace Hotel. It was on the the train ticket. Ah, But yeah, I'm impressed. Okay. So H.M. Brooks's parents were teachers, um, not landed gentry, like Maxwell had said. And um, he had never been trained as a doctor. What? Right. He so, lied? Well, You're telling wait. me this upstanding individual, H.M. Brooks, Maxwell, whatever his name is. Dajois. Dajois. He, he lied? The man with three names at this point? Right. I guess late boyfriend was murdered and put in a trunk. He lied about something? I know it's shocking. I am completely and utterly dismayed. I, I can't do this anymore. I'm so <laughs> upset. What Should we pause? Where, where Should we it, pause for a, a station or a, a notice from our sponsor? <laughs> uh, to quote Shrek 2. That's where, where that song's from, not Footloose, okay? Wait, where did what? All the good men go. The I Need a Hero. That song is from Footloose. Yeah, it's yeah, from yeah, years and Shrek years Loose before you. It, but Shrek 2 did it better. Mm-mm. Way better. Oh my god. It's, it doesn't even fit in Footloose. It so fits in Footloose. It fits in Shrek. It doesn't fit in Footloose. They're just dancing. Uh, or some Shrekies right in the ca- Oh, my God. Okay, this is so listeners, millennials, am I right? I'm not a millennial, but okay. Aren't you? No, I'm Gen Z. Oh, like a year. You're... Okay, I guess we had you too early. All right. So now you may Wait, be asking... Sure. Your, okay, so so um, H.M. Brooks's parents were teachers. And he hadn't trained as a doctor. He had attended law school. Which, that's respectable, right? But before he finished law school... Did he get fired for... No, actually, he stole something from another student, pawned it, I don't know why, and went to live, and went to Liverpool, where he met the deceased Mr. Arthur Preller on the train. Okay? So, crazy story, right? It's about to get crazier. What? It, I totally... This, oh, my God. So Is the he police, a fourth person, too? No, no, I think he's only three, but... Oh, know, so far. Only because the police caught him. But, um, okay, so the police found, I'm going to, this is the last time I'm going to use all three names. In general, I'm just going to say Maxwell. But, so the police found Dajois Maxwell Brooks staying at the Palace Hotel. Oh, they found that he was staying there, but not before he'd fled on a ship bound to, where? New Zealand. New Zealand. That was not a problem. So, yes, he. New Zealand, but okay. Yeah, I don't know. I tried, man. I don't know. I tried. So, he'd thoughtfully registered for the ticket in the name of Dajois. So the police totally, I mean, you would think he could have picked up another. Just make up another one. At this point, you're already like three deep. Why right. not go deeper, man? I know, I know. Uh, Greg So, So the police, the police were hip to him, and oh, they knew yeah. exactly where he was headed. So, Andrew, was he out of reach of the law forever? No, because he comes back, because he's an idiot. Well, remember that the barber said that St. Louis was a civilized place in 1885? Well, that included a dedicated group of investigators who were not willing to let their prime suspect escape. 
So this this is crazy. It is, it is kind of crazy. So they sent a telegram to the Auckland, New Zealand authorities and asked them to pick up the man, um, Dajwa Maxwell Brooks, um, when the ship docked. So this is just a fun fact. The telegram cost the city of St. Louis $400 at the time. That's a lot. Which is equivalent to, this is in uh, you know, 2019, $11,523 today. So after the New Zealand police captured him, um, and he walked off the boat, they contacted St. Louis back. So I was curious, like, did they send the telegram collect? Can you do that? I don't think you can, but, like, they probably said, probably said, got him. And it was like, I'm not, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know much about telegram financials at this point (laughs) or logistics. Okay, well, so St. Louis sent two detectives, James Tracy and George Badger, to bring, Those are um, the most detective names I've ever heard. Aren't they? Detective Tracy. James Tracy. Yeah. Or Badger. Jesus. I Badger. Know, right? Like, imagine. They always call him Badger in the office. Like, Badger, what are we going to do today? I don't know, Batman. What about you? You know? That, that's how it feels, man. <laughs> Batman. Okay. Thank you. So, oh, by hear, the way, when you I You can was... hear his internal monologue out loud when people walk in. The whole hard-boiled <laughs> thing. She was a dame looking to kill. I love it. Okay. So the trip took these guys 69 days total, and it cost the city. Now remember, the telegram was $400. This trip cost $3,000, which is in 2019 money. This hurts. This hurts. This is such a strange allocation of... Okay, close your ears. I'm going to tell the listeners. So it's $86,422.69. Okay, open up. It's a lot. That's, yeah. That's what Andrew heard. So after... This is crazy, too. This story is so nuts. So after he'd been apprehended in New Zealand, Maxwell, I'm just going to call him Maxwell, had Preller's, when they found him, he had Preller, the corpse's monogram underwear, towels from the Southern Hotel. He like stole the towels from the hotel. Is this man just a kleptomania? And a forged medical diploma from London. Oh, brilliant. But when they picked him up, he said his name was T.C. Dajois, a man of French descent, who had grown up in Scotland and practiced law in London. Okay. Well, so... Well, we know. You're, you're, no one believes that, right? Well, your detectives did not. Your Tracy and Badger, they didn't buy it. And they told him so. But he kept up the French accent and the broken English all the way home. What an idiot. So apparently, in spite of this, this is the crazy part, the detectives said they really liked him. What? And they enjoyed their travel home. So according to this book by, um, it's called Infamous St. Louis Crimes and Mysteries by David Lindsay, um, Tracy later claimed, the detective, quote, I have studied him all the way from Auckland, and I must say that he is a compound of humanity that I am unable to fathom. What does that mean? I'm not sure. I'm unable to fathom what that means. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. But wait, this is 1885, right? People don't have internet. They don't have TV. All they have are these newspapers. Oh, wow. I can't printing. imagine. Oh, man. My small millennial, quote, unquote, brain cannot handle a world without the internet. Right. Well, all they had was the newspaper. Okay. It's the only form of So news, yeah. this story that Dajois came up with of the French spy, the bloody murder, and the mysterious. And Oh, by the way, Maxwell French was handsome. Uh, mysterious, handsome Maxwell was great for the newspapers. They printed plenty of crazy theories, too. So one tried to explain that Preller's yep. was not the body in the trunk. What? 
that he brought that he brought it to the hotel with him from Boston for some secret mission to fake his death or something sinister. Well, so when they got back from New Zealand to San Francisco, crowds were waiting to see them. They were eager to see Maxwell, and the newspapers hounded the police for interviews. But even though Maxwell loved publicity, the police refused to allow interviews. Disgusting. And then. You know, then they had to travel across land back to St. Louis. Um, by that time, the escapade had the attention of the nation. So the the guy I talked about, David Lindsay, from the infamous St. Louis Crimes and Mysteries, compared it to the slow travel, um, compared the slow travel with the intense press coverage to the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase. Huh. Is that before your time? Well, I know it's before your time because it happened. I'm really aware of the O.J. Simpson trial and the Bronco chase, okay. yes. All right. He's very well informed for a millennial. I mean, a I'm pre- not a millennial. He's a pre-millennial. Okay. No, it's at millennials are before Gen Z. Okay. Both of your other children. No, it doesn't matter. It's a meaningless classification. Okay. So anyway, after he'd been in the St. Louis jail for a time, Maxwell dropped the French accent. Oh. He gave up. And he he changed, gives up. He changed his story. Gives up. I right. give up. And he said he wasn't actually French, but he had been working with Preller. Who, by the way, had been alive when he'd left. Preller's body couldn't have been the body in the trunk. What? It had to have been someone else's. So, probably someone Preller had killed. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Authorities weren't at all sure how to handle Maxwell, but circuit attorney Ashley Clover wanted a conviction. He spent $2,000. So this is so expensive, right? $2,000 of the city's money and another 2000 of his own to prepare the case. One thing he did with that money was well worth it. He hired... He spent, on, he spent his own money on this? I know. Man, imagine if we had... Prosecutors that would do that? These days. Maybe they do. We don't know. Um, but one thing he did was he hired private investigator Edward Furlong. So, um, Furlong is amazing. He was St. Louis's first detective, private detective, and he was originally from Pennsylvania. Um, How got, many Furlongs long was he? Okay. Actually, he was really short. I don't know how that means. Like, he for was like five I don't two. actually know. I don't. For context, I for for context for context, I have no idea how long a furlong actually is. I just know it's a unit of measurement within standard measurement. Isn't it like in the like the ocean? Isn't that a furlong? No, no, no. no. I'm I thinking. I think it's equivalent to like a couple miles or less. Leagues. Than I'm thinking leagues. Yeah, leagues is different. Yeah. Okay. I'm stupid. I don't know. So, um, anyway, so this furlong guy is mega smart. Mega smart. Okay. So he, tur- um, he formu- furlong formu- formulated a plan to get a confession out of Maxwell. Okay. Do you need a pause? No. Okay. Um, so he hired another investigator named John D. McCulloch from Philadelphia. So no one local would recognize him. And according to Furlong, McCulloch was honest but not super sharp. And it took McCulloch over a month to learn about enough about McCull- Maxwell's case and memorize, memorize every detail of Furlong's plan, which that's kind of sad, really. <laughs> which is so sad because this guy ends up being like the hero here. Once Furlong was satisfied that McCulloch was ready to carry out the plan, the two staged an elaborate and sensational drama. What? Oh, yeah. This is crazy to get this guy arrested. Okay. So what they did was Furlong, the guy that everybody knew was a detective, positioned himself in a bank on Pine Street. And then McCulloch went in and attempted to pass a questionable check. Okay. The teller, of course, was suspicious. And he said, oh, Mr. Furlong, can you take this man to the local authorities? 
So once outside on the street, McCulloch, the hired dummy, tried to run. Furlong chased after him, and the two struggled. Furlong ended up bruised and bloody, and his ears were filled with mud, which makes you realize that the streets back then were all dirt, right? Sure. Right. So so they, they scuffled. It was, a, it was a scuffle. It was a scuffle, and Furlong actually got kind of hurt. But but he did catch him eventually. Oh, he caught him. So <laughs> once, once McCulloch was in jail, the St. Louis police discovered that he had... And remember, the St. Louis police did not know anything about this. They right? had... Yeah, what? They didn't know he was a plant. They just captured him. They have no idea. Oh. Right? Okay. And they found he had a large amount of cash and letters from many accomplices. So just to let you know, the letters were fake, but I'm thinking the cash wasn't. So... That could be part of the two thousand dollars. <laughs> they just gave him the money. <laughs> so the police thought McCulloch was a major criminal because of this, and then soon word spread. Newspapers and lawyers all showed up to ask him for interviews and offer to help defend him. So of course, the other criminals in the St. Louis jail began to look at him as somebody special, right? Uh oh. Right. Well, Maxwell was taken in. And after a time, he confided he confided his entire crime to McCulloch, whom he looked up, looked up to as a master criminal. Once McCulloch had obtained the confession, he was released, and Maxwell remained unaware of his true identity until until the trial. Yep. Oh, that's okay. good. So that is real. That's some Scooby-Doo stuff. I know. Okay, so the moment the prosecution called McCulloch to the stand, Maxwell fainted, and the judge had to recall had to call a quick recess for his recovery. Then, after the excitement died down, McCulloch related this, the story Maxwell had told him. That is so good. So this is the story that he said: Maxwell had been out of money, and Preller had refused to give him more. So then he tricked Preller into allowing him to, quote, operate, unquote, on him. And he drugged him with a syringe first to subdue him and then overdosed him with chloroform. Remember he'd gone to the yeah, 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 pharmacist to get the chloroform? Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, this was a sensational moment and it was controversial. Um, there were several articles criticizing Furlong and Clover's method of obtaining confession. Yeah, that's very illegal, but it's right. really funny. But it wasn't the first time a detective impersonated a prisoner to obtain a confession, right? And it won't be the last. You know they're going to keep doing it. It's totally coerced, but sure. Right. So then the defense... I've got like three more pages, so are you wow. good? I know. This is a long story. It's a long story. So the defense called... Keep, I'm more just confused as to how this keeps going. I mean, you'd think oh. it'd be all wrapped up. Oh, oh, oh. No, 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 no. Okay. So the defense called Maxwell to the stand, where his story changed once again. Oh, yeah, because it's what happens. It's right. some ace attorney stuff. He claimed that Preller had died as a result of a botched surgery to tweet... To treat... Not tweet. That's a Twitter thing now. To treat swelling of the membrane around his urethra. Okay? So there was some implication that this condition was a result of homosexual activity. But Incredible. I, I mean, I don't think it made... Anyway, it, it wasn't, wasn't overtly it, stated in the newspapers. Yeah, because they didn't want to... Because they didn't want to talk about it, but yeah. Because yeah, it's the whole... No, we don't talk about it. It didn't happen, okay? Right. Well, but it we, doesn't even make any sense anyway. Well, I mean, obviously, swelling... That doesn't... How would that happen? I, let's just gloss over that. That's not... Okay. So Maxwell wanted to be sure that his patient was pain-free. So, oh, so he, he had 
He had put him on the chloroform, chloroform, but then he overdid it and he died. So right. then he hit the bottom. That's what uh, he said. That is. So then he no said. going to believe that. He, well, then he said he tried to revive him, but it was too late. Sure, he did. So he was a foreigner. He was British, and he was in the United States. So and he didn't understand the U.S. justice system, even though we speak the same language they do. Well, I'd argue that more of his excuse, or he doesn't. I mean, do you understand the British legal system? No, but I can read. Yeah, but if you just committed a murder, I mean, like you don't exactly have time to be like, hmm, allow me to go. Ask the pharmacist and a waiter and a barber how I can get off. Okay, I'm not saying he's valid. I'm saying saying that the language is the same is not necessarily the best. Excuse. Well, I think I think it's different. So, like, let's think about the Amanda Knox case, where she's in Italy. She doesn't speak the language fluently, and her family's. I mean, it is different than in the same language situation. Sure. Uh, Wait, no. are you on Maxwell's side? <laughs> yes, clearly, I'm on the crazy guys' side. Okay, so let me continue. I'm okay. just saying. So Maxwell apparently wanted his patient to be pain-free, so he gave him chloroform. The first dose wasn't enough, so he gave him another. Then he tried to revive him, but it was too late. So as a foreigner, he didn't understand the U.S. justice system. Um, And so he panicked. Get closer to the microphone. You're too far away. All right. So um, this is when he'd stuff Prowler into the trunk and skip town with Prowler's money. Yeah, because why wouldn't you? Right, because why not? You know, I mean, Prowler didn't He's not going to use it, right. yeah. So, so then after this, the prosecution actually exhumed Prowler's body. And guess what? They found no evidence of a swelling of the membrane around the urethra. Right. Do you mean that Maxwell, H.M. Brooks, Duchois, whose uh, <laughs> story has changed three times, are you trying to tell me that he lied? Do you really think someone well, would do that? Well, his parents did not think so. So his parents came all the way from England, and they were present. This is really sad, actually. They were present at the trial. Um, and they were convinced of his innocence and believed he was a victim of the U.S. justice... I wrote symptom. I think system is what I mean. <laughs> Probably. And they were prejudiced against him because he was a foreigner. Because you know how in America we hate the British. We're it's like, a different time. I don't I don't. It think was so. a different time. Do you think, do you think in 1885 they didn't... Like, I mean, I there, there, there was that one war in the 1800s, War 18... 1812? The War of 1812? Wait, do you mean the Revolutionary War? No, one, <laughs> that was in the 1700s. No, but yeah, the War of 1812. Like, I don't remember war names from stuff like that. But like, yeah, I mean, that's not... Again, he's a pre-millennial. Gonna, that's not <laughs> how that works. Pre-what? I just made that up. It's a stupid term. Post would be a better term. Wait, you can't be a post-millennial. A second. The millennials are not. Okay, whatever. I'm not having this discussion. You're wrong. I'm okay. right. This is what being a parent's like. Okay, so Maxwell <laughs> was convicted sure. of first degree murder. And this is sad. He was hanged in Jeff City in August of 1886. They hang people just for one murder? Oh. Well, some of my other stories, if you listen to. That doesn't to, really seem fair. I there mean, are. At least two. Well. Anyway, he was hanged in 1886. So afterward, Maxwell's father, this is so sad too, sent a letter to the jury foreman, which, how did he know the jury foreman's name? I guess that was... I don't know. Right. Well, actually, some of the other things I've read in newspapers, like they actually list like all the members of the jury. So I guess it was published in the newspapers then. 
which seems bad, doesn't it? Okay. So um, in the it, and so this jury foreman passed it along to the Post Dispatch, who published it in the May nineteenth, eighteen ninety nine edition. In it, the father compared his son's death, Maxwell, to the crucifixion of Christ. <laughs> And he complained, this is a quote, the laws are so badly administered in Missouri that the whole community of that state is looked upon by people here and by thousands of respectable citizens in other parts of, in other parts of the U.S. as well as the respectable and thinking portion of Missouri with wonder and amazement that such a horrible crime should be committed in this enlightened age in the name of justice. End quote. Man, this is some Brock Turner stuff. Okay, so one more thing. So when the St. Louis police exhibited the news, so this was at the um, at the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904. When the St. Louis police exhibited the noose used to hang Maxwell as evidence of their success in capturing such a dastardly villain, Edward Furlong, remember our yeah, detective yeah, yeah. that came up with the whole plan? By then a very successful man, he ridiculed the display saying that the New Zealand police had arrested Maxwell and that, and that Furlong had proved him guilty. All the St. Louis police had done was send a telegram. So that's the end of that story. So That's pretty good. Uh, I will say, above all else, I'm impressed that he just kept the charade going, even when it clearly wasn't working on multiple occasions. He was an... I, I, would th- no I think he was mentally him. ill, don't you? I oh mean, yeah, it's totally a... I don't. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not qualified to make any diagnoses. Ease. Pre-millennial. Not qualified for anything. Post. Okay. I. Wow. <laughs> okay, boomer. I'm not technically a boomer. Yeah, I know. That's what this whole thing is at this point. You're, uh. All right. So, are you ready to play fact or fiction? Sure. All right. So, so this is the way this works for our, our listeners who are new. Um, so, I'm going to list four things that I talked about in the story. One of which I made up. The rest of it is all stuff that I've seen in the newspapers. And now I can't guarantee it's fact, obviously, because the newspapers were notorious in that time yeah, for making yeah, for filling in details, like right? But one of these I did make up. The yellow journalism wasn't around then. It was, that yeah, was it was. It was about. It was. It was already started. Was it? Oh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. So, okay. So this is fact or fiction number one. On his errand, he traveled to a barber and shaved off his beard. As he left, Maxwell asked the barber if he was still recognizable as the man who had entered the shop. Okay. Okay, That's one thing. Is that true or not? Number two. A man from Chicago traveled with Maxwell on the train to San Francisco and spoke fluent French himself. And then he... um, He... When he... He told the police that when he um, heard Dajwa's accent, he began speaking French with him. And Dejois did not understand a word, but just kept on communicating cheerfully in English with an accent. So that's number two. Okay. Number three. The newspapers had plenty of crazy theories about the body in the trunk. One tried to explain that Preller's body wasn't the body in the trunk, and that he brought it to the hotel with him from Boston for a secret mission. Ooh. Ooh. Number four. Um, The moment the prosecution called McCulloch to the stand, Maxwell fainted. And the judge had to call a quick recess for his recovery. So, Andrew. The train one. The train story. (sighs) 
Doo-doo. I don't need some I don't, sound I don't know there. what that means. That's but, like, okay. uh, it, it's from the... So, I'm wrong? Yes. What's, what was the real one? The fainting? Yeah. That was the fake one? Yep, that was it. Man. So, we, should we do... Should, do you want to try the toffee? No. Oh, okay. We well, can do that. Later, but... Okay, we can do that later. We can add it. So, thank you so much. I think we were amazing. High five. Yes! All right. What'd you think, Bruce? And my... Oh, there it goes. Okay.